episode two. <laughs> Hello. We will be talking about. You're, I'm second. <laughs> you go. Up <laughs> uh, first. Okay. So we're talking, talking about Scotland and some, some stories both lesser known and maybe slightly more common. Um, you'd be the judge of that, but I researching Scottish tales. It was a lot of fun because a lot of things are very like geographically specific. Like a story will be about like a particular lake. It won't be about like some like general idea or like some general moral. Um, it's very rooted in the geography. So I have two stories to tell you. Um, one is about the charmed mountains and yeah. why they look as they do. And then the other one um, just takes place near a small lake, sorry, a small loch, um, just west of just west of Glasgow. But first, there's a tale of the Charmed Mountains. So these are located within Glendale, which is on the northwestern part of the Isle of Skye. And the Isle of Skye is the northwestern part of Scotland, and it's a it's a story that I can very much imagine some um, just like grandparent whipping out of nowhere because some <laughs> because some little kid said, hey, why do the mountains look like that? And the grandparent was like, uh, let me tell you something. <laughs> yes, dude. And um, so on this, um, on this, um, on this area of Glendale, there... There was a glen, which is a Gallic word for valley. Um, there, there lived this group of giants and this group of little people, and the giants were very skilled warriors and um, super, super strong. Um, and then the little people, and the story didn't say the word fairies, um, but I'm not really, I couldn't really figure out why, but the. The, the little people had skills in magic and mm. they would also help the help the giants with like um, treating their wounds <clears throat> and like helping them like fend off any disease so they um they had, a, they had a really nice relationship because the little people would you know like, like i said um help treat their wounds and mm. help um them prevent diseases and they had some magical powers and then the giants would give the little people um, like their leftover food and their leftover like grains and breads. Mm -hmm. um, so one was giving food and the other was giving help. That's and cool. the giants of the Glen, um, this is in the, in the the northern part of the of the area, they would always fight against the giants from the southern end. Hmm. And after you know a bunch of bloody battles, they're like, okay, this isn't worth it. Let's um let's call a truce so the giants um they call a truce and then they just like start chatting to try to just like uh see how like good they have it on their part of the island and the giants from the north they say yeah like um you know i don't we you know you love feast we love feast but our feats our feasts are the best because if we wanted we have tables and chairs that are big enough to host every giant on the island so then this turns into them being like obliged to us is like peace fest um peace feast peace feast <laughs> peace fest <laughs> and then so they're walking home they feel good and then they realize they don't have these tables they don't have these chairs and now they're like damn why would they claim such a thing why would they lie and so they're like um they're venting to the little people and they um they say that like they're nervous because then the giants from the south are going to come and then they're going to be really embarrassed because the giants mm. from the south would realize that they're liars, and then um, that's why you don't lie, kid. Mm-hmm. The little people just like think like, okay, can they like help them solve this? Yeah. And then the next day they go to the giants and they say, okay, we will, we will make your tables and your chairs. Um, 
but in exchange you have to protect our race for as long as we live so like we know the relationship is good now but you have to protect us forever and the giants they say okay because they're more scared of embarrassment than a forever obligation um and then that night the giants go to bed and the the little people use like most of their magical powers to cut off the tops of two mountains and they cut off the top so instead of peaks it just turns flat and then they use that rock to like uh, help make seats that they put around um, the, that, that the the new flat part of the mountain and, and the new flat part of the mountain is a seat the new flat part of the mountain is the table is the table okay around that they put <clears throat> other rocks which are then the seats okay and the giants say like oh my gosh this is perfect and the the giants from the north host the giants from the south they have this awesome party and then the <laughs> the party just gets a little bit rowdy because it's about the giants just celebrating how awesome their furniture is <laughs> they could stand still and it would be considered rowdy because it's just <laughs> so large and scary oh yeah <laughs> and they end up they take they take the seats slash rocks and they throw them into the water because it's not too far away and <laughs> and that's how we get um they're called like uh black rocks of the sea I'm not going to attempt the Gallic name, uh, but there is one. And that, that's right next to what's now called uh, McLeod's Tables. and um, Or the more like common name, like the, the Charmed Mountains. So we have, and there, there's like a greater and a lesser because like one table is slightly higher. So you can find images of it to say like, uh, like McLeod's Tables or the Charmed Mountains. And you see it's just like two very flat, uh, flat top mountains uh, pretty close to the water located in this part of Scotland. And then I imagine the kids going like, whoa, that makes sense. Because of all the giants. Obviously, giants. The giants threw them in. Um, And yeah. (laughs) That's the story. That's the story (laughs) of the Charmed Mountains. All right. And then there's another story. And this one, it takes place in a place called uh, Dulock. So D-H-U... Lock, L-O-C-H, and I looked it up. It's just west of Glasgow, and this story, um, <laughs> I was almost going to say, it said even before that giant story, but they're, how about they're just both a really long time ago. <clears throat> I believe it. <laughs> <laughs> and so next to this lake, there was um, this hunter named Ewadid. And he was a fantastic hunter. Um, it's all he liked doing. It was like it was his love. It was his passion, and he did it every day with his companions. So they would, um, they would run around and just hunt a bunch of stuff, and then drink some heather ale and party a little bit, and then go to sleep. And I'm gonna drink something called heather ale. Oh yeah, it sounds lovely. Probably horrid but it sounds i think it sounds so good the um i like amber ales a lot and i feel like a heather ale right maybe it's just because it ends with er but er, it's like an er ale (laughs) i I don't know if that's uh specific enough for me to order it (laughs) can i get some er (laughs) like the game of or (laughs) (laughs) the royal game um so this this hunter He's fantastic, and he has like um Hercules, like watch out. <laughs> he has like 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 the straightest arrows, and they're tipped in silver. So like, and that's his like weapon of choice. He's like super. Hey, werewolves good watch out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't yeah don't go to Dulock, Mister Werewolf. Dude, Jacob, stay away. <laughs> don't impress anything. Ever go to Scotland. <laughs> and then. One day he's like coming back from uh, coming back for his hunt, and he meets this woman named um, Eulidid, and it's like a love at first sight, um, and so she like would you know she she would hang out with her companions during the day, he with his, uh, but then it turned into them quickly just not hanging out with their friends or companions at all, and so they were just like like 
run around the hills and um it was very cute and like then he has this like hut next to this little lock like look guys you can have a lovely relationship but you've got to make time for your other friends okay just life lessons and i don't know well unless you love him just so much you just want to run around the hills um but yeah we'll see we'll see if the friends make a return i don't know so you you tells her mom more guy who's a witch she's like mom i met this guy <laughs> um he's like this he's, he's this fantastic hunter he's like the best in all the group but then the witch more guy says no because she says yeah he's a great hunter but he's never been battle tested so he's not good enough for my daughter you know that's good advice mom's like mm, let's try this out well, i'll go to the military well, well let's figure it out yeah it's like he's good on the gun range let's see him on the battlefield and then the daughter says like um the mom like i love him so much like i i just want to um just like hang around with him all day and like sing him songs so it makes him feel like there's just like um just like mu like like music following him around so he can have this like um kind of like just like this magical essence around him and that magical essence is my love and the mom says well sure and i'm waving a wand turns her into a swan mom which i don't even imagine is like singing animals yeah i imagine never... them as honkers <laughs> i have been chased which... by a swan they are not nice yeah. creatures <laughs> and like i don't even know if swans Pretty. and geese are the same thing Distance. if it's just like i don't know if one is a type of the other if they're totally separate but i think of them both as like mean honking pretty animals yeah yeah and with like and they have like and they just like spit loogies all the time <laughs> they spit yeah like 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 alpacas not like, like not like alpacas <laughs> not like a um a weapon just like like they just like hang around like water like fresh water and like eat slugs i didn't realize like that they could like things could go up <laughs> oh, and yeah. out mm-hmm yeah, they're nasty. That's gross. The one, the close, the close encounter of the swan kind for me was... was Black swan. He was a very, very, very large white swan. But I was also in, I think, kindergarten or first grade, so I was little. Mm -hmm. um, and I was eating a peanut butter sandwich, and we were at the Natural Science Center uh, in my hometown. And um, Sounds like disaster. <laughs> and behind the Natural Science Center is a zoo, and then behind that is um it's just like a park um mm. we were all sitting there and there's just there's a pond at the lake so there's swans and geese everywhere that's just normal mm -hmm. but i guess i looked like i could be picked on and in the swan's defense that's true <laughs> <laughs> i was tiny i was like two foot two mm -hmm. never, this is, i was sitting at a table and these swans kept coming towards us i guess because they're pretty familiar with people at the park so i'm mm -hmm. sure that people feed them all the time this is my adult logic on like the situation yeah um but one kept coming near me and wanted my freaking peanut butter sandwich that at the time was my favorite food mm -hmm. and i was not gonna let the swan come between me and my peanut butter sandwich no so the swan gets mad at me mm -hmm. and starts like like rearing its head at me trying to bite me so I, of course, get up off of the picnic table and start, like, walking away. And the swan, of course, ch chases me. And then, yeah. so, uh, the faster I go, the faster the swan goes. And then, of course, I'm... Wasn't even trying to catch you. Wasn't even... Just you. wanted to chase me. <laughs> then, of course, I'm plagued with a hill. And I have yeah. to go downhill as a tiny child. Very funny. Because, um, you know, you don't really know your balance skills as a small human. Mm -hmm. Um, the cutest part. That's the cutest part of babies. I wish that I could see that scene from another perspective because mm. I only remember it as looking at my feet and my. I could see. I remember holding my sandwich in my hands and my feet and looking down at the ground. And then, like, every now and again, I would, like, turn back to see the swan. That's how I remember the image. I bet it was hysterical as an, any onlooker to watch this tiny child with pigtails and overalls, like, run away Imagine from the swan. the swan actually just, like, like a, like a, 
like a, a motivated walk. If I just remember, yeah, the swan was running, but the swan was mad and it was screaming and it was running like pop pop pop, and it was like flapping its wings at yep. me, <laughs> running downhill up behind me, and I was like, not my penis on a sandwich, and I just remember getting all the way downhill. And I think people shoot it away, but I was I was just so shocked. And uh, yeah, so that that's how I, I don't like swans very. I mean, they're fine. But I don't go close to them. Anyway. So now we have a swan. Now now we have a swan on the lake. So every um, every day she would she'd follow him around on the hunt. And and then at the, at the end of the day when he would return home, she would land as close as she could on the lake by, by, so she could be near his hut. And then he, um, he didn't, like, she didn't show up like that, that night. So he started to be like, okay, where... Where is she? So like he's asking all his companions, asking all her companions, and then he's searching all throughout these hills. And meanwhile, she's like looking for a peanut butter sandwich. <laughs> she's at the zoo. <laughs> she's at the zoo, obviously. She's like um, essentially following him, but since she's a swan, he doesn't think anything of it. And then he, um, after like two days, he gets so irritated. Was this it? is the story of the Swan Princess. Hold on, there's a. Never mind. Keep going. I am so intrigued. <laughs> this is a really... Okay, well, keep going. Yeah, so <laughs> he gets super irritated. So he he sees a swan above him. He's a great archer. He just, like, shoots it through the stomach. And he's like, this thing needs to stop following me around. Like, I'm so pissed. I just lost the love of my life. Like, I, I don't find any fun with hanging out with my friends or my heather ales or hunting. Because he went from loving hunting to then just loving this woman. And now she's gone and... It's just not the same. So the swan flutters down. No. And then as she hits the hits uh, the ground near him, she turns back into a human. This and, is literally the swan princess. Oh no. <laughs> and she sings her first and last love song for him. Oh no. And says that just having this last moment with him <laughs> is worth all the pain and all the grief of not having a lifetime together because she gets this one moment. And as she sings the final note in the song... The song, like, the last note dies in the air, and then she dies. Oh my god, that's so sad. And then... Does he go hunt the mother? Is that what happens in The Swamp Princess? No, I don't know, I don't know. Let's check out this part. So, the... The son is just, like, in shambles. Yeah. He can find her, and then he realizes, oh, he killed her. Well, how would he know that she was turned into a swan? He didn't. Uh, exactly. So, so he, I don't want that to totally a fault? But just like, I'm sure that doesn't like make him feel better. Guilty. <laughs> yeah. Poor guy. And, and then also, more guy is pretty, you know, pretty devastated. Like her, her, her daughter is dead. This is your fault. Mm -hmm. And he didn't even turn her into an animal that sings. <laughs> just a honk. Just a honking, chasing, scary animal. So more guy visits. The son to try to comfort him, but it's more of just comforting herself. <laughs> um, she's like, I, I, I feel bad, but I, I feel bad for you, but I really just feel bad for myself. So I want to make myself feel better, not just really make you feel better. And um, she says to him that um, I can't bring her back to life, but it, uh, but if you'd like to be together with her, you just have to go through the pain that she felt at her last moment. You know, you know what he says? No. He says yes. <laughs> and then the um, and the next morning, his companions go and um, go to his hut to to go hunt with him, and they can't find him. But they see two swans, um, two swans, two two dead swans floating on the water, with their necks intertwined and a single arrow that's pierced through them both. That's like keeping them together. And then the um, the mother Morgai then um, the next day takes the swans and carries them up uh, this little hilltop and makes one of those cairns like those like um, those are like stone piles and then the two of them can spend you know their afterlife together in this place called Tir Nanag which is like an Irish um, uh, afterlife where everyone is like young and beautiful and there's no sadness 
and they can spend the rest of their lives together, the rest of their afterlife together. Okay. <laughs> it's like, I don't know if it's a happy ending or not, because they both died completely unnecessarily. Um, despite then the fact that there's this afterlife of complete bliss and just... That's okay. Happiness, yeah. Oh my gosh, that's so sad. I know. Dang. And that's the swan princess. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Alright, are you ready to hear uh, my story? Please, yeah. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> okay, um, so this one is very exciting for me because it's one of my favorite cryptids because uh-huh. it's just great. Um, and... Like yours, my story takes place in Scotland. Scotland. Um, so it's a cryptid in Scotland. I wonder what it could be. <laughs> hmm. The name of Yeti. <laughs> it is. The Chupacabra. <laughs> the Chupacabra. Um, the Loch Ness monster. <laughs> Yay! Ah. All right. So, I will try to make this as quick as possible. There are, one of the great things about the Loch Ness Monster, are there are so many stories. Yeah. And not necessarily, you know, and so, so many stories, and then a lot of them are hoaxes and confirmed hoaxes. Um, but that's the fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's the fun part. So, um, we're going to start with, like, the origin of the name, and then... Um, the earliest telling, or the earliest story, and then just... A long list of the sightings and the history of the sightings. I have no clue what the first sighting is. I'm, I'm really curious about that. <laughs> All right. So, in, in August 1933, the Courier published the account of George Spicer's alleged sighting. Public uh, public interest skyrocketed, skyrocketed with countless letters being sent in deep sent in to the courier which is like a newspaper Uh or magazine i think i think it's a newspaper um being sent in detailing different sightings described as a monster fish or a sea serpent or a dragon with the final name ultimately settling on loch ness monster so since 1940 the creature has been affectionately called nessie Mm. so reports of the loch ness monster date back to the 7th century a.d in the holy i know um, in the Life of St. Columba by Adomna, or Adomnan, I'm not sure how to say it. YouTube was not helpful when I tried to look it up. There were several different ways. I've seen Ad- pronunciation videos, Ad-Domnan? and then it'll be 40 seconds to then say a two-second word. It's yeah. like it's like a 35-second preamble of, like, why you should subscribe to this channel. <laughs> and then they say the word twice, quickly, video's over. Yeah. I've never been made so angry in 40 seconds. Yeah, it's, it's like sometimes I'm like, can we just start it over? Um, so the reports of Loch Ness Monster, of the Loch Ness Monster, date back to the 7th century AD in The Life of St. Columba, Columba by Adamnan, that guy that I don't know how to say. The Irish monk St. Columba was staying in the land of the of the Picts when his companion, um, with his companions when he encountered local residents burying a man by the river Ness. They explained that the man was swimming in the river when he was attacked by a water beast that mauled him and dragged, uh, dragged him underwater despite their attempts to rescue him by boat. Columba then sent a follower, <laughs> then sent one of his followers, hey you, get in the river. <laughs> Um, <laughs> sent a follower to swim across the river. According to the story, the beast approached him, but Columba made the sign of the cross and said, go no further, do not touch the man, go back at once. The creature stopped as if it had been, quote, pulled back with ropes and then fled. And Columba's men and the Picts gave thanks for what was perceived as a miracle. Whoa. And I guess that no no video evidence back then. Yeah, no no video evidence back then. <laughs> but um, that is apparently what happened in the very first, uh, you know, documented and telling of. Why did he send the follower across the river? Because he wanted to see if the people that was were burying a dead body that was apparently was made dead by a water beast. Um, and... If this water beast was real, so he was like, "Hey, you get in the water." Gotcha. 
hey Jim, jump on in. And Jim, Jim was like, okay. <laughs> um, wackadoodle. But anyway, so that's the first documented, like, tale of Loch Ness Monster. Um, so now I'm going to go off on a tangent about the history of the sightings. So... Mm-hmm. Buckle in. D. McKinsey mm-hmm. in 1871 or 1872, um, in October, D. McKinsey reportedly saw an object resembling a log or an un- upturned boat wriggling and churning up the water, moving slowly at first before disappearing at a faster speed. The account was not published until 1934, and this was in 1871 or 72. 1934, when Mackenzie sent his story in, um, in a letter to Rupert Gold shortly after popular interest in the, mo- in the monster increased. Mm. Alexander MacDonald, 1888. Mason Alexander MacDonald sighted a large, stub- large stubby-legged animal surfacing from the lock and propelling itself within 50 yards of the shore where MacDonald stood. In 1933, so 1889, all the way to 1933, mm-hmm. um, Aldi, I think that's how you say it, uh, Aldi McKay, the best-known article that first attracted a great deal of attention about the creature was published on the 2nd of May, 1933, in the Inverness Courier. The article by Alex Campbell discussed a sighting by Aldi McKay of an enormous creature with the body of a whale rolling in the water in the lock while she and her husband, John, were driving on the A82 on the 15th of April, 1933. Uh, George Spicer, 1933. Modern interest in the monster was sparked by a sighting on 22nd of July, 1933, when George Spicer and his wife saw a most extraordinary form of animal, unquote, um, cross the road in front of their car. That's what my facial expression as well. I was like, wait a second, now it can walk out. For the listeners, I went, huh, with my face. crossed in front of the car uh they described the creature as having a large body um and a high of about four feet 1.2 meters i love that it trans the article or wikipedia page translated all of the measurements in both meters and feet for us dumb americans oh. using you know it's, Shout out. i was like thank you i don't know what that <laughs> means <laughs> so about four feet or 1.2 meters mm-hmm. um and 25 feet 7.6 meters long and um uh, and a long wavy narrow neck slightly thicker than an elephant's trunk and as long as the 10 to 12 foot width of the road so they saw no limbs it lurched across the road towards the lock 20 yards away um, leaving a trail of broken undergrowth in its wake it had an animal in its mouth and had a body that was fairly uh, quote that was fairly big with high back but if there were if they were there were any feet, they must have been wet, the webbed kind. And as for a tail, I cannot say as it moved so rapidly. And when we got to the spot that it had probably disappeared into the lock, unquote. So like it moved so fast across the road. By the time they pulled up to where it disappeared beyond mm-hmm. the trees or whatever, they couldn't see it. So they just assumed that it probably went into the lock. That sounds terrifying. Yeah, it was like if you actually saw a ginormous monster creature with a lot like plesiosaur (laughs) walk across the road that's how do you okay (laughs) if anything lurches in front of me lurches while i'm driving game over i'm done absolutely not (laughs) (laughs) though he was the first to describe the creature as a plesiosaur like dinosaur evidence suggested by researchers at the columbia university in 2013 prove his story to be fake the Uh. university (gasps) (laughs) <laughs> the university uh, and Daniel Loxton suggests that Spicer's sighting was fictionalized and inspired by a long-necked dinosaur that rises out of a lake in King Kong, a film that was extremely popular in theaters in his home city of London during August of 1933. <laughs> Whoa. The Spicers know how to sensationalize. Like, all right. <laughs> so when Spicer, uh, and this was when Spicer reported the sightings. So on, on the 4th of August, 1933, the Courier published the, a report of Spicer's sighting. The sighting triggered a massive amount of public interest and upon and and the uptick in alleged sightings so 
all of a sudden after Spicer's article, it was like, well, I've seen it too. I've seen it too. I'm, me too. Here's, oh, I saw it yesterday. Um, this leading to the Aiden solidification. <laughs> yeah. This, this led this massive, like, I guess, popularity, um, in 1933 led to the solidification of the actual name of the Loch Ness monster. So that's how it kind of came about. Ooh. And that was the Inverness courier, like newspaper that yeah. or said Loch Ness monster. Loch Ness monster. So, in 19, also in 1933, um, Hugh Gray, Hugh Gray's photograph taken on November, or the 12th of November, 1933, was the first photograph alleged to depict the monster. It was slightly blurred, and it has been noted that it, um, that if one looks closely, the head of the, uh, the head of the, a dog can be seen. So Gray had taken his Labrador for a walk that day, and it is suspected that the photograph depicts his dog fetching a stick from the lock. The original negative, of course, was lost, so can't prove, uh, or disprove. Um, however, in 1963, Maurice Burton came into possession of the two lantern slides, um, that con contact positives from the original negatives and when projected onto the screen they revealed an otter rolling at the surface in a um, characteristic in characteristic fashion so it just looks basically like an otter doing exactly what otters do mm -hmm. rolling around in the water um, hmm. according to Maurice Burton who came into possession of the yeah. so negatives that, that were supposedly photo. lost no not yet. Whoa, okay. Uh, no. Um, so, a little confusing, but Maurice is like, nah, and the, mm -hmm. uh, Hugh was like, here's a picture of my possible dog, possible otter, mm -hmm. possible, <laughs> possible monster. monster. <laughs> um, Arthur Grant in 1934, on the 5th of January, 1934, a motorcyclist, Arthur Grant, claimed to have nearly hit the creature while approaching the northeastern end of the lock at about 1 a.m. on a moonlit night. According to Grant, it had a small head attached to a neck, a long neck. The creature saw him and crossed the road back to the lock. Grant, a veterinarian student, um, described it as a cross between a seal and a plesiosaur curious he, he said he dismounted and followed it to the lock but only saw ripples grant produced a sketch of the creature that was examined by zoologist maurice burton again mm. um who who stated it was it was consistent with the appearance and behavior of an otter maurice burton is a hater i would just like to say mm -hmm. <laughs> maurice burton is like no such thing shut it down that's an otter end of story Every cryptid needs their heretics. Every cryptid needs their Maurice, we're looking at you, bud. <laughs> Regardless, uh, uh, regarding the long size of the creature reported by Grant, it has been suggested that this was a faulty observation due to poor lighting conditions. And, um, yeah. <laughs> so now, this leads us to 1934, the surgeon's photograph. Mm. <laughs> the surgeon's photograph is reportedly the first photo of this creature's head and neck. Um, supposedly taken by Robert Kenneth Wilson, it is published in the Daily Mail on the 21st of April, 1934. Wilson's refusal, refusal to have his name associated, it, associated with it led to it begin, being known as the surgeon's photograph. And that is the photograph that we all, like when you think of the Loch Ness Monster, mm -hmm. you think of that murky, dark photo that's a little fuzzy and all you see is like oh, a yeah. hump back and the head mm -hmm. sticking out. That is the surgeon's photograph. That is also what is tattooed upon my arm. Mm -hmm. um, so it is the surgeon's photograph. All this sounds like it, was like it was pretty close together once there were like more signs. Bam, bam, yeah. And yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Pretty close together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Curious. <laughs> Who would have thunk? Who would have thunk? Um, according to Wilson, he was looking at the lock when he saw the monster, grabbed his camera, and snapped four photos. Only two exposures came out clearly. The first... Oh, I have to sneeze. Commercial break. <sighs> Commercial break. <laughs> <laughs> Only two exposures came out clearly. The first reportedly shows a small head in a back, and the second shows a similar head and diving in a diving position. The first photo became well-known as we know, mm -hmm. and the second attached little, uh, attracted little publicity because of its blurriness. So for 60 years, for 60 years, the photo was considered evidence of the monster's existence, although skeptics dismissed it as driftwood, an elephant, an otter, or a bird. 
An elephant? No, thank you. Because I was like, I don't understand as a skeptic to take the place of a skeptic and be like, nah, not real, for sure no, definitely Maurice Burton, definitely an otter. Mm -hmm. That is fine and dandy. If you come up with an equally ridiculous answer as a skeptic, like mm -hmm. an elephant roaming the Scottish Highland, swimming around a loch, I am going to question... Never before seen or since. <laughs> How many elephants do you know that hang out in the Highlands and swim? Just hang on the Highlands full stop. I don't even single elephant. And then swim. <laughs> like, I... The it, only, it doesn't look like an elephant at, at all. In any way, other than a trunk. But you'd have to see the... Elephants don't fully submerge themselves underwater. They yeah. do go in water and, like, walk around and roll in mud and stuff. But, like, they don't, like... They don't yeah. swim. They don't, like, Michael Phelps in the mm. lock with their just trunk out. It's not like Tarzan. It's like a snorkel. <laughs> yeah, it's not like Tarzan when, like, whatever, Tanto, uh -huh. Tantor, is that the name of the elephant in Tarzan? When he, like... Pretends that he sees through his little trunk and finds a ship that Tarzan... No, that's, that's not true. real. So, if you are a skeptic and you're going to claim elephant, get out. Get out. You are more ridiculous. Yeah. Like, no. So, I giggled at that and also was just... Wow, I couldn't imagine being like a person that's completely rational and seeing a monster and being like, I really saw this monster. And then this other guy is like, I'm a scientist. It was an elephant. And people no believe more. that guy? <laughs> no! Just because he has some initials next to his name? Does not me. <laughs> so anyway. <laughs> a freaking elephant. Doctor's right. orders. It's an elephant. It's an elephant. <laughs> what? All right, so since 1994, most agree that the photo was an elaborate hoax. It has been described as a fake um, in the 7th of December's 1975 Sunday Telegraph article that fell into obscurity. Um, details of how the photo was taken were published in the 1990 book Nessie, the surgeon's photo photograph exposed, and this creature was reportedly a toy submarine built by Christi Christian Sperling. Sperling admitted the photograph was a hoax in January 1991. So for 60 years, Whoa. I believed. Um, so that brings us to Marmaduke Wetherell. So in 1930s, Marmaduke went to Loch Ness to look for the Loch Ness Monster. Wetherell claimed to have found footprints, but, um, but when the casts of the footprints were sent to scientists for analysis, they turned out to be from a hippopotamus. Not an elephant, a hippopotamus. <laughs> the prankster used a hippopotamus foot umbrella holder, or umbrella stand is what it says, and cast his umbrella stand foot and sent it in as the footprint of Loch Ness. <laughs> That's pretty funny. <laughs> it's so funny, because who's going to think? Points for humor. Yeah, points for humor, for sure. <laughs> I mean, a hippopotamus, too far. Elephant, checks out. But hippos? Um, you caught my attention. <laughs> um, as, a, as a result, Wetherall was publicly ridiculed by his employer, the Daily Mail. To get revenge on the Daily Mail, Wetherall per perpetuated the hoax of the surgeon's photograph. <laughs> so of the Loch Ness monster with his um, of, of the hoax of the Loch Ness monster with his son Ian his son-in-law Christian Sperling and Maurice Chambers taking a picture of a toy submarine made of plastic wood and uh, plastic wood and passing it off as a monster Chambers then gave the photograph plates to surgeon Robert Kenneth Wilson a friend of his um, who enjoyed a good practical joke Wilson had the plates developed and then sold those photos to the Daily Mail. Of course, he never had the negatives. Yeah. So uh, the mail, the mail would then announce that the monster had been photographed. The model, um, so like the story of the surgeon's photo with Robert yeah. Kenneth Wilson, like selling it. Um, all of this was fabricated by Marmaduke Weatherall after uh, in a revenge plot because when he originally went out to search for the Loch Ness monster and fabricated a footprint, mm -hmm. the Daily Mail ridiculed him and ripped him apart and like mm -hmm. completely made him non like 
incredible, I'm a show, uncredible, yeah. non decredible, um, un in non dis. Yeah, they said it was cap, and he's like, <laughs> "I'll show you cap." Oh my god! <laughs> Yikes! Disc- he was discredited. Discredited. I was like, "How? What is the negative?" Yeah, discredited. Discredited. Okay, so his and so his reputation was shot. So he was like, "Revenge plot. Here we go." Um, so <laughs> no one will look at me. No one. Ah. So the model of the Loch Ness monster that they made to make these mm-hmm. photographs um, was purposely sunk. Um, I think as and a ploy to hide it, <laughs> to not get yeah. caught, um, sunk in the lock by the pranksters, and reportedly it is still submerged in the lock to this day. Mm. How deep is the the lock? Oh, God, I don't know. It's supposed to be, like, insane. It's deep. very deep, and there's tunnels. Like, there's, like, caves and tunnels that are underwater, Whoa. and that's where everybody speculates, like, that it hides when mm. people... Of when course it, you can't see it. It's just hiding. It's just hiding under the... It knows you're coming. ...caves and stuff, so... Yeah, so it's super duper deep, and there's caves, and supposedly caves that, like, connect it to other bodies of water, mm. but I don't think any of those have been, like, mapped out or, like, discovered. I think it's just, like, speculation. I like it, though. I know. It makes <laughs> me want to believe it all the more. <laughs> um, so... After, you know, 1930s, and then, of course, in 1991, when, um... But of course, like fast forward through time, Spalding admitted that the photograph was a hoax in 1991. But back to the 1930s, in ni- before we knew it was a confirmed hoax, in 1938, um, on the 29th of May, South African tourist G.E. Taylor filmed something in the lock for three minutes on 16 millimeter color film. The film was obtained by popular science writer Maurice Burton. Oh. Uh, He's back! Um, who did not show it to other researchers. Sus. And a, a single frame was published in his 1961 book, The Elusive Monster. His analysis concluded it was a floating object, not an animal. Possibly an elephant. <laughs> Kidding. It's a floating animal. Mm-hmm. So in December 1954, sonar readings were taken by the fishing boat Rival 3. Its crew noted a large object keeping pace with the vessel at the at depths of 146 meters 479 feet for us americans <laughs> it was detected for 800 meters before contact was lost then in 1955 peter mcnab at urquhart castle we've been there mm-hmm. <laughs> took a photograph that depicted two long black humps in the water the photograph was not made public until it appeared in constance constance white's 1957 book on the subject Then in 1977, on the 21st of May, 1977, Anthony Shields, camping next to Urquhart Castle, took some of the... Great camping spot. That's got to be awesome. It's got to be great. (laughs) (laughs) Some of the clearest pictures of the monsters, uh, monster until this day. Shields claimed to have summoned the animal out of the water. It was stated that he was a magician. (laughs) I'm not sure... What? So ma- magicians and saints have control over Mission, Magicians and saints. That's it. Um, <laughs> she had claimed to have summoned the animal out of the water. He later described it as an elephant squid. <laughs> More elephant. Claiming that the long neck um, shown in the photograph is actually the squid's trunk and that a, a white spot at the base of its neck is its eye. Due to the lack of ripples, um, it has been declared a hoax by a number of people and received its name because its stage look, and its name is the Loch Ness Muppet. That's what it's called. Roasted. <laughs> Roasted. <laughs> <laughs> and then in, now 2000, and that was in uh, 1977. So in 2007, on 26th of May, 2007, 55-year-old laboratory technician Gordon Holmes videotaped what he said was the jet black thing about this jet black thing around 14 meters long, moving fairly fast in the water. Adrian Shine, a marine biologist, described it as among the best footage he had ever seen. Shine was also interviewed and suggested that the footage was an otter, seal, or water bird. Dang it. Whoa. Those dang otters again. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2011, on Sonar Image, on tw- the 24th of August, 2011, Loch Ness boat captain Marcus Atkinson photographed a sonar image of a 1.5-meter-wide 
unidentified object that seemed to follow his boat for two minutes at the depths a depth of 23 meters and ruled out the possibility of a small fish or seal oh on august in august 2012 skipper george edwards claimed that the photo he had taken on the 2nd of november 2011 shows nessie edward claims that uh, claimed to have searched for the monster for 26 years and reportedly spent 60 hours per week oof, mm. on the lock aboard his boat, the Nessie Hunter. IV. Is that five or Okay. Nessie Hunter <laughs> four. <laughs> Taking tourists for rides. Edward said. Hey, why did we get it wrong? <laughs> <laughs> Nessie Hunter, uh, one of several. Um, Edward says, in my opinion, it probably looks like. A manatee but not a mammal when people say see three humps they're probably just seeing three separate monsters george edwards believes mm. and believes there's a family of nessie okay other researchers have questioned the photo uh, the photographs authentic uh, and loch ness researcher stephen felt suggested that the object in the water is fiberglass is a fiberglass hump used in the national geographic channels documentary in which edwards has participated Oh, snap, shots fired. Researcher Dick Rayner has questioned Edwards' claim as he found inconsistencies between Edwards' claim for the location and conditions of the photograph and the actual location and weather conditions that day. So according to Rayner, Edwards told him, yeah, Rayner was like, nah, not, not in my house. Like one of those geniuses is like, it'll just tell you what the temperature was on a day and what like the forecast yeah. was. He's like, excuse you, nah, your photo doesn't make any sense for A, not the right it's location. Like, it's Maurice. B, <laughs> it takes out the man. <laughs> B, weather conditions, son. Edward claims lots of things to say. According to Rainer, Edward told him that he, Edwards told him that he faked the photograph in 1986 that he claimed was genuine in the Nat Geo documentary. Although Edwards admits in October 2013 that his 2011 photograph was a hoax, but he insisted that the 1986 photograph was genuine. Now, Edwards. I must admit that I was lying about that. But this <laughs> other thing, because you can trust me because I admitted my lie, is absolutely true. It's totally true. And I also lied about it for decades. <laughs> yeah. Like, sir, stop talking. Stop digging yourself a hole. All right. And then in 2014, on nineteen on the 19th of April, 2014, it was reported that the satellite image of Apple Maps showed what appeared to be the large creature, though thought by some to be the Loch Ness Monster, just below the surface of Loch Ness. And at the Loch's far north, the image appears about 30 meters long, possibly. Uh, possible explanations were the wake of a boat, a seal-caused ripple, or floating wood. Apple Maps had a lot of issues. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, and then finally, in September 2021, it was reported that a 20-foot creature was captured on live stream near the rock, mm. near the lock, in drone footage. So. Those are all the sightings uh, up till 2021 mm -hmm. of Nessie and the Loch Ness Monster. A lot of them are fabricated hoax. A lot of them, uh, a lot of them are wild stories. But um, I personally believe that there are creatures in that lock that we don't know about. Mm -hmm. That is how I personally believe. Um, and I believe that, and so does our buddy Steve Feldham, which I mentioned very briefly earlier, a few points up with the George Edwards photograph. Um, Steve Feldham is the holder of the title of Longest Continuous Vigil Hunting for the Loch Ness Monster in the Guinness Book of World Records. Um, he has lived off the banks of Loch Ness since 1991. Um, and we, last summer, mm -hmm. met him and I bought a little magnet because he makes clay figurines of Loch, uh, the Loch Ness Monster and sells them to kind of help fund uh, his his work and how he, you know, his vigil of, of trying to see his second sighting of Loch Ness. He saw a first sighting and, and decided to uproot mm -hmm. his life and, and quit his job and move to, you know, the banks of Scotland and he lives... He lives there, and every day he looks for the Loch Ness Monster since 1991. But uh, we bought a little clay figurine from him. He's a really nice guy. It's a, It sounds like an incredible lifestyle. I know. Essentially just on this little like beach 
Yeah, just on, lives like, on a beach. And he's like a shack, and then out front he's like selling his art, and it's just like, if anyone asks him what he's doing, it's like, I'm looking for the monster. Looking for Loch Ness, obviously. Yeah, there's like always something to do. <laughs> for Loch Ness monster. Yeah. And he's really nice too. You're super nice. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that that is a, that is the story of Loch Ness monster. Think, I think I think it's real because thinking it's real is so much more fun so much more fun mm -hmm. you hear that Maurice Burton or whatever <laughs> Burton that was right at Maurice Burton at Maurice Burton uh, you stink you stink <laughs> sir why do you have to poo-poo our excitement yeah everyone's just trying to be a monster hunter yeah and that's what's happening Thanks for listening to the Gods and Ghouls podcast. We will have new episodes each week. And for news and updates, you can find us on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube at Gods and Ghouls podcast. You can also email us at Podcast at gmail.com for any stories you'd like to share or any tales you'd like us to cover. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Gods and Ghouls podcast. We will have new episodes each week. And for news and updates, you can find us on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube at Gods and Ghouls Podcast. You can also email us at Gods and Ghouls Podcast at gmail.com for any stories you'd like to share or any tales you'd like us to cover. Thanks.